I was building a name for myself in the industry as a reliable professional, right? They'd hired me. Let's get into it. Welcome back. Dear Hollywood, becoming a product, eating disorders and body image. Today, I'm stripping bare to discuss body image. And not just the pressures imposed on child performers, which you might be able to predict, right? Old news. But also what happens when a child's body is a product for sale. Product for sale. And after, I'm going to explore what happens to a child's nervous system when pursuing the industry. As you know, human hardwiring and early programming in childhood set the course for the rest of our lives. And with a new mugshot or obituary of another entertainer plastered on our screens every month, it seems that the rampant misfortune of substance abuse and psychological meltdowns within this subgroup might not just be a reflection of individual misbehavior, but statistically prevalent response to, what is it, um, ABCD, uh, BYOB, oh, PTSD. Right, because people experiencing PTSD are 14 times more likely to also be diagnosed with a substance abuse disorder. I wonder if there's a connection. I will be sharing immensely vulnerable stories that I've never told before, so I ask that you please listen with a compassionate and curious heart, and if you care, join me in making a better world for the young kids going through the pipeline right now. But really, for kids everywhere and for everyone. Okay. So checking in to see what luggage you're bringing into this from your side in regards to body image. What's the definition you have of this term? What's your experience with your own body image? And what contributed to this self-perception and narrative? Obviously, body image challenges are a social issue that affect more than kid actors. You know, your classmates may have body shamed you for being too tall, too short, too fat, too skinny. Um, Your immediate family may have yo-yo dieters, chronically negative self-talkers, or image-obsessed people who are always in the mirror. You may wrestle with feeling good enough due to the deluge of idealized bodies represented across media. You know, if you're not white, thin, non-disabled, straight, XYZ, you may be ostracized or exotified for having features or manners of self-expression that differ from Eurocentric, heteronormative, ableist, XYZ beauty standards. And even if you are all the things, it's still freaking tough growing up in a world of edited selfies and bullying and tons of historical baggage around bodies, human rights, representation, and the like. So I honor this, and you deserve to feel safe comfortable and confident in your unique mind and body. Now, I want to zoom in on body image issues that affect young performers in very distinct ways, and then examine how this connects to potential risks and outcomes in the pipeline. I'll use my own story as an entry point, but trust me, I'm aware that everyone's personal journey is very different. I'd say when I lived in Ohio, ages zero to six, um, my early self-concept was probably pretty positive overall. I was a short pipsqueak with a chipmunk voice and apple cheeks, uh, youngest of three girls. You know, we were all very athletic, good students involved in our communities. Um, And then our parents divorced when I was three. And that was a little confusing to have two homes. But overall, I think I was a happy kid. But by eight years old, so much had evolved. 
I was living in LA, I was becoming famous, and I was acutely aware that my body had become a topic of discussion. It was a key factor for being hired. Dancing obviously demanded exceptional physical fitness and technical prowess, but also cute kids go further. Yet, even if I dressed the part for a character, my natural attributes might have just not fit the description and I'd be rejected automatically. Sometimes my body worked to my advantage. Like the one time a bunch of kids auditioned for a Nike ad and clearly they were all theater kids and not athletes. I was the only female who had good running form and I was practically booked on the spot. That was a win for me, my t-ball coach, my YMCA basketball coach, my gymnastics coach, my beehive soccer coach, and most importantly, my favorite sports pal, my dad. But the next day, I auditioned for a princess catalog that had certain height requirements and those same athletic genes from Ma and Pa meant I wouldn't be tall enough for this gig for at least three more years. Now, my appearance, even at eight and nine years old, also affected my public reputation. Due to the massive popularity of early bookings like Missy Elliott music videos and Cheaper by the Dozen, something as banal as wearing pigtails became a legitimate signature feature of my budding brand, so much that I essentially donned pigtails every time I left the house for years. And since I might be recognized in public anytime I was outside, every day was picture day. I had to look presentable. My body was celebrated by some, scorned by others, gorgeous to some, atrocious to others. And I tried not to pay too much attention, but of course it seeped in especially when puberty hit. For me, I tried to focus on what was within my control in order to you know, increase my chances of success and approval. In a competitive industry, I didn't want to lose, and I surely didn't want my family to regret moving across the country only to watch me fail, so I gave my best. Weekly dance and acting training, 110%. I stayed consistent with the pigtails. I shaved my legs because body hair was considered unsightly and unfeminine and later got laser hair removal just to remove the prickly black stubs on camera. I filled my wardrobe not with clothes that I liked per se, but rather whatever blouses and skirts best exemplified the characters I'd be auditioning for. As my adult teeth came in, I fixed and whitened my smile with several kinds of braces and gels. Due to being a late bloomer in puberty, I would layer two or three bras at a time to create the illusion of breasts because other girls were developing ahead of me and it increased their chances of being perceived as desirable and hireable. I actually learned that from someone else who was also doing it. Basically, the six-year-old who was at ease in their skin was eclipsed by a preteen who was already in a chokehold of perfectionism. I wanted to be the most talented artist, the most likable brand, the best role model, and my body was a major feature of each. No matter how much I pretended to be a normal kid going through normal growing pains, I was in an unusual double bind. I was burdened by the same pressures other kids faced from unrealistic beauty and performance standards, but I was also the one perpetuating the burden as I conformed to the standards in order to excel at my job. And this is said in hindsight, right? At 12, my brain was not contextualizing all of this. I do remember, though, being at photo shoots, trying on clothes that were double and triple zero, and saying to myself, you know the camera adds 10 pounds, so if you stay this size, you should look like a normal-sized kid on camera. Well, the fame, the competition, the pressures, the scrutiny continued to intensify, and my body continued to house it all. 
I mean, at the height of my entertainment career, Step Up, uh, Sweet Life, That's a Raven, Camp Rock, Phineas and Ferb, Original Music. Y'all, I was working back to back and I was building a name for myself in the industry as a reliable professional. They'd hire me in ensembles with kids who'd never acted before because they could trust me to help show them the ropes, to, you know, elevate their performance and, and nail the scene on the first take. Do you know how many times directors pulled me aside and said, you are carrying the set right now. Thank God you know what you're doing. An unfair amount, to be honest, especially because many of those kids received main credits, higher salaries, they sucked at acting, and they got elite representation following those projects, which catapulted their careers. Trust me, there is a whole tier of sidekicks nodding as they watch this. So from the outside, a fan base of millions of people um, were rooting for me and encouraging this momentum. And I was finally making it. I was on track to break through as a star, a household name one day. Never mind that it meant absolutely absurd work hours and completely forsaking my education and social development and other dimensions of life. But the nonstop chaos wasn't only in the industry. At home, my family was falling apart. My stepfather was grossly abusive. We're talking fear tactics, screaming matches, locking us in rooms, hiding keys and important documents, pinning bodies against walls, unplugging and hiding phones so we couldn't call the cops for help, um, hiding pills and mattresses. And then my mother's drinking reached a point where I couldn't rely on her to be coherent after a certain hour, which left my sisters and me to govern ourselves and sometimes, you know, get her to bed. And my sisters, both smart and capable humans, were facing their own challenges after relocating and having our realities turned upside down. But when I went to set or on the red carpet, all of this was swept under the rug. It was stored in my body, yet you couldn't see any of it. There was no outlet for me to process, to resolve, to rest. Between the ages of 13 and 18, there was so much stress, I needed something to manage the volatility. And I wasn't going to drink or do drugs like my peers and family, and I couldn't lash out at anyone because that would jeopardize my reputation, and I didn't have time to distract myself with TV. So I started going to non-denominational churches multiple times a week, looking for stability and hope. And I put my faith in Christ as my rock, savior, shield. And I will say it did provide a container in some ways for instilling important values that weren't modeled in the industry or in my family. But respectfully, it would be several years before I understood that the church was saturated in American nationalism, militarism, capitalism, racism, patriarchy, celebrity culture, and the like. Unfortunately, it's my observation that many well-intended believers are completely unaware of the ideologies and biases and power dynamics imbued in their pastor's interpretation or their own interpretation of scripture. And while praying is a powerful experience and posture of heart, it is not the same as consciously addressing your trauma and learning to regulate your nervous system. Please Rewind and play that again. So though my spirit was buoyed, my mind and body were still freaking out and ill-equipped to survive this lifestyle. Unconsciously, I turned to socially acceptable vices, overachievement, and impressive physique. I slipped into extremely obsessive behaviors around food and exercise, 
what began as orthorexia, which is an unhealthy focus on eating in a healthy way, um, escalated into severe restriction, exercise bulimia, and later binge eating. To reiterate, likely this was a response not only to the appearance-driven pressures in Hollywood, but also a coping strategy for feeling totally out of control in a chaotic industry and home. And poignantly happening in a kid's body who never had a chance to pause and breathe. Trigger warning, eating disorders. Please stop watching this if it's unhelpful for your health. For real, your recovery is most important, so just skip to the next video. All right, let's get into it. So by about age 13, I began to calculate every morsel of food I consumed, and I would track micro and macronutrients I would tally monounsaturated fats, polyunsaturated fats, saturated fats. I could tell you how many calories were in every single bite of every food I ate. I even counted how many times I chewed each bite. At my severest, um, I compulsively recorded what I ate up to 12 times every morning and evening to verify that I didn't mess up the math. And then I lived at the gym. I was lifting weights and logging miles, even if I had already been at multi-hour dance rehearsals. Family obviously noticed, but I justified it as necessary training for upcoming shows. After all, I was modeling for Nike, and that meant I needed to be in elite shape. I mean, I was featured talent at Disney's Healthy Living campaign with um, former First Lady Michelle Obama. Even We Fit created a series called Get Fit with Allison. I was performing, you know, two to three hour concerts, which required stamina and excellence. So I never missed a workout, but I sure as hell missed meals. And as the number dropped lower and lower on the scale, the side effects just started adding up. I started losing clumps of hair from my head, um, but instead I was growing lanugo, which is the fine hair all over your body that indicates malnourishment and a lack of body fat to keep yourself warm. Um, scans were starting to reveal low bone density and anemia. My nails peeled off. Um, I had to wear multiple layers of clothing because I was perpetually cold, and I also couldn't sit or lie down without getting bruises where my bones were protruding. Um, I lost my menstrual cycle. I had zero sexual desires or interests and I had embarrassing body acne. Um, the circles under my eyes were so dark, I couldn't cover them with makeup. And my facial features were just really gaunt, which added to my insecurities of not being beautiful enough, uh, not being chosen like my peers. And, you know, I was already estranged from normal kids my age, but these health issues exacerbated the sense of isolation. So before the European Camp Rock premiere, I remember I was having a particularly horrible day with uh, body dysmorphia. I hadn't been able to work out before the red carpet and my eating was thrown off on the plane because I quote unquote lost control and ate two thirds of the breakfast instead of only half. And my mother had no idea how to console me, but I spiraled into what I can only describe as like a tantrum 
after staring at my naked body. I was on the bathroom floor, like crying at how fat I thought I was. I refused to come out. And keep in mind, at this time, I'm probably about like 95 or 97 pounds. Faith-wise, I was really trying to seek God's wisdom and support through scriptures and community. Um, I would recite Romans 12.2, Psalm 139.14, Ephesians 2.10. You know, it was weekly Bible studies. It was praying at midnight for hours. And in some ways, trusting that God was bigger than my eating disorder, um, bigger than my struggles, really did give me hope to get through it. Uh, nevertheless, Ed was taking over my life. And if you've ever experienced anything like it, you know when you're in the middle of it how frantic and anxious and preoccupying it can be. It, it rules everything. So my mom and others became more and more worried, and anytime she tried to intervene, I was defensive and harsh. I deceived myself by, you know, claiming my goal wasn't thinness, it was just impeccable health and strength. But deep inside, you know, it was really getting out of hand. I remember hearing of someone else whose eating disorder brought them down to, I think it was like 87 pounds. And when I heard that, I vowed to never go lower. Um, so when I watched the scale descend from 103 to 99 to 95 to 92, and I stood nearly 5'5", five five, I thought, okay, it's time to stop. You know, I won't go any further. So I attempted to pull myself out of it by sheer willpower. You know, I replaced the diet and fitness articles with recovery forums online. I tried to challenge my body dysmorphia, which had convinced me that, you know, I was an average size, if not a little chubby, though I was a triple zero. Um, I agreed to meet with a dietitian to create a meal plan, and I learned that my self-proclaimed 2100 calorie daily diet was actually closer to like 700 calories tops. I continued writing scriptures all over my room and mirrors. Uh, but these efforts, they just weren't enough to combat the eating disorder because, you know, its grip was wrapped around my core identity and my sense of purpose and belonging. You know, it was my strategy for survival. Its grip wrapped around my nervous system, my attachment wounds, Yes, you know, it's so much more than food and exercise. So as I tried to heal my relationship with food, um, reintroducing the former quote-unquote bad foods and increasing the portions and permitting myself to eat when I was hungry, that was all just way too much and I freaked out. As you can imagine, I didn't have the tools to mentally support myself and all the thoughts and fears and judgments that were arising. Whenever I was eating, a part of me felt like I had completely failed at having self-control. And so I swung to the other side of the spectrum and I started binge eating, which was a whole new beast of shame. But also, um, let's not forget to acknowledge that you know, my body was underweight and undernourished. So it was likely also devouring food because it was like, we really, really need this. Um, once I was able to drive, I would leave the house at night and I would go to the grocery store to buy cakes 
ice cream, sandwiches, chips, and I'd get into my car. I'd sit in the parking lot, stuffing down food until I felt high or numb or sick. Um, Previously on the set of Camp Rock, when my mother was drunk, I would sneak into the pantry at night, expertly eating just enough from every container so as to hopefully go unnoticed, and I'd cover any loose wrappers and toilet paper. Um, I would hide the evidence behind the bed. And then, of course, you know, the fear of gaining weight would set in, and at 2 a.m., I'd walk across the hallway to the gym, and I'd work off as many calories as I could. Some of my co-stars, yes, plural, were bulimic, and I'd researched the harmful effects of purging through self-induced vomiting, so I chose exercise as a form of purging, and the cycle continued, and it was a nightmare. So, yes, when you all ask about what it was like to make Camp Rock and work with Demi and the Jonas Brothers, all of this was happening in my mind and body. And did I ever say anything negative when we were doing press for it? No. And that, again, is living in denial and dissociation. What sucks is that this lifestyle is kind of reinforced in the industry. The performance pressures, the beauty standards, the busy schedule. I wasn't the only kid with extreme diet and fitness regimens. I wasn't even the skinniest kid on set, which really fucked with my mind because, you know, I felt like I was working so hard to stay small and they seemed to just be naturally skinny. I wasn't the only kid who had family issues and personal struggles. I was not the only kid who had no opportunity to confide in others because we had to uphold the veneer that everything was fine. I wasn't the only kid facing the fierce competition of who would make it into adulthood and who was going to fade into obscurity, forever labeled nothing more than a former child actor. So on that note, I do want to share with you the moment that I came undone and went to rehab. And it all starts with the Hunger Games audition. On the next episode... When I first arrived, I saw DVDs of movies I was in lining the shelves in the living area. And you know, these other kids needed an outlet sometimes, but the movies that were their outlet were my trigger. 